0: hi it's chris here from the movie bunker podcast and on this episode i'm delighted to be joined by novelist journalist and podcaster caroline o'donoghue so welcome to the bunker caroline
1: Hi, Chris. It's brilliant to be here. Thank you for calling.
0: You're very welcome. It's great to have you on. I was just going to ask you quickly, uh, for anybody who doesn't know who you are or is not familiar with your work, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing?
1: Well, sure. Well, um, I am an Irish uh, novelist. My first book, Promising Young Women, came out uh the summer of this year of summer of twenty eighteen. Uh the paperback is gonna be out in March, so everyone have a look out for that. And while I'm not doing that, I uh, do a bit of journalism for the Times, for the pool, I do some reviews for the Irish press, and uh yeah, I also have two podcasts, one of which is called The School for Dumb Women, which is a comedy podcast with me and two friends where we just try and um you know explain to ourselves the things that we should really know already like you know what actually is the moon and what do people mean when they say you know the, the economy is shit yeah. uh, and the other one is a sentimental garbage which actually kind of shares territory with you in, in a way um because it is about um talking to people about their favorite lit or commercial women's fiction essentially their favorite you know quote-unquote bad books that they found very mm. formative and uh i've been doing that since december and yeah it's kind of the most recent thing
0: it's strange isn't it how, how we are still ashamed of or we call we call these things guilty pleasures when really if anything mm. gives you joy you should really celebrate it but why why do you think some like not especially novels or um fiction novels get such a bad rap.
1: I think I think about this question a lot and and to me I think with um it, it not even fiction but just culture in general yeah. whether it's films or music or whatever I think it's a two-pronged thing. I think the first thing is that you know people enjoy a certain level of junky predictability that they're mm. familiar with do you know what i mean it's the same thing as you know ha- having a kind of uh, like having a mcdonald's or getting some maltesers or whatever in it like there's a, like everywhere in the world a chicken nugget tastes the same and yeah. sometimes when you're feeling vulnerable you reach for chicken nuggets because it will taste like childhood and that is where sort of junky stuff comes from i think
0: like comfort food essentially
1: yeah, and, and we feel very affectionate towards it, etc. And I think that's one level of it. And and obviously, that kind of junkiness can often get applied to sort of formulaic storylines, like romances, or like certain kinds of action movies that were, you know, big in the eighties that 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 might not have been technically great, but people really loved. Um, and then, well, then that's what what happened over the years was that um, these genres are very broad, and a, a lot of quality exists within them. And there's very there's, there's brilliant rom coms, for example, like When Harry Met Sally or something, and then mm. there's rom coms that follow the exact same plot beats that are terrible. And uh, due, I think because of laziness for most of people on a critical level, and also because of um, sort of sexism and uh, general prejudices that people have over certain kinds of entertainment and, and what it means to certain kinds of people. Uh, and this is sort of the second level with which Guilty Pleasures work on, which is that mm. it's a way of dismissing things that people like and and if you're dismissing those people it, it it's generally you know teenage girls um like I remember for many years people were very upset about the, sort of the Twilight franchise and and you know it was kind of very de rigueur to like m- make fun of the whole vampire trope oh, but yes. you know nobody was making the same level of fun about you know sci-fi for boys you know it was no. kind of I, 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 well I mean, they are a little bit I mean, everyone makes fun of Transformers I suppose but uh, I don't know I, I think it's very interesting uh, that people it's how the group that likes that thing is seen, and then people mock the thing as a way of mocking the group. You know.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think um, there can be a lot of scorn poured on these on these films just because of the audience they're maybe marketed at and the popularity that they have, and and not cons- not maybe perceived as being serious literature or serious films. And it's a shame because I mean, you know, when it can, when it's done really well, you know, you've got um, the Hunger Games and you know, uh, the Tween Tween movies or the Tween. Uh, books although i think the ones Absolutely. that get the, the most yeah. kind of vitriol and uh i think the internet now will we see well with twitter and everything else there's so much more voice out there to pan stuff and poo poo stuff
1: i listened to one of your um podcasts already and i thought uh it's, it's there's something that i've actually said as well is uh about books is that nobody sits down in good faith to write a bad book or to make a bad film like these things like films take years to fund and to make and everything and, and everybody who shows up to those mm. films like think they're wants to do a good job you know and everybody who writes a book wants it to be a good book and um, I don't know I, I, do, I am very critical of people who are just able to you know to see a trailer and be like well that's shit <laughs>
0: well listen we've talked about you know my guilty pleasure with the greatest showman okay i've over, i've exposed myself but what what let's talk about yours because this is why you're here obviously you talk about the films that oh, of course, critically of course. critically you know maybe've you not had the best reception but you know you would always go back to that comfort film that you like what have you got a couple you could share with us
1: um, absolutely and and they all share the same theme which is that they're all um camp uh, and yeah. they're all uh, something that you might see at 2 a.m. in a gay club. Uh, and The number one is uh, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas.
0: Oh, Have I've never heard it? of it. No, I've never even heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my it. God.
1: <laughs> I, I, I literally could spend the rest of my life explaining the plot of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Okay, so it's uh, Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Um, I think it's the late 80s it was made. Um, mm. And Dolly Parton uh, plays Miss Mona, and she is a... Um, she, she runs a whorehouse. She is the madam of this, uh, in this, this small Texan... Horror house called the Chicken Ranch, and it's kind of on the outskirts of this little sleepy town. And um, the beginning of the film, we get this whole history of what the what the Chicken Ranch means, which is that like you know it's been there since like the, the the dawn of the 20th century, and you know it kind of when when the when the boys came home in World War One, it welcomed them and they came home in World War Two, the Great Depression. Basically, this thing has been like this pillar of society throughout the 20th century, and then it kind of sweeps up the up the You know, big staircase, and then we see Dolly Parton, the current ruling matron of this this establishment, and she's there looking just amazing. You know, you know how like obviously everyone loves Dolly Parton, but there's a point where like it goes from Dolly Parton, what a beautiful woman, to like Dolly Parton, like living drag queen. Um, (laughs) But she's right, she's right in that middle zone, you know, where she's like half and half. She's like in that little crossover in her career, and she just. Like the body is all intact. She's just like this perfect hourglass covered in rhinestones. And um, she starts right away with the song. Obviously, it's a musical. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course and it is. Uh, she starts, <laughs>
2: of course it is. I
1: should have said that right off the bat. Honestly, of all the television, not television, of all the filmed musicals, um, it is the most all-killer, no-filler soundtrack of any. <laughs> I And I will really swear to that. And Okay, and so so we have... We have Miss Mona, we have Dolly Parton, and uh, she runs this very uh, beloved, successful whorehouse. And uh, b- by the way, I'm saying the word whorehouse a lot because it's the word the film uses, obviously, politically, cr- political crack being, That's probably not the yes. phrase that we would use. No, sex worker know. warehouse so <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: it doesn't have the same <laughs> ring to it does it
1: <laughs> no it doesn't <laughs> brothel whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so um, she runs this thing but like kind of everybody in the town has this understanding that um, you know she's a woman who she always pays her taxes she paid for the little league's you know new uniforms she's a strong member of the community People aren't necessarily close with her, but they respect her. And then this other character, um, her counterpart, is Ed Earl. And that is Burt Reynolds.
0: Oh, I like, what a great guy. Rest in peace, Burt.
1: What a great guy. <laughs> um, oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, people always say that um, you know where someone's coming from culturally um, if by who, what they know Mandy Patinkin for. So... Uh, some people know Mandy Patinkin for Criminal Minds and they're that yeah. kind of person. Some people know him for The Prince's Bride and they're my kind of person. <laughs> um, yes. But I think you could also say the exact same thing for Burt Reynolds. You know exactly where someone's coming from in life, uh, if if what they know Burt Reynolds for, whether it's Bumpy Nights or his Westerns or whatever. And for me, it is the best little horse in Texas. And he um, he plays the sheriff who's, who's very, very handsome, like very, again, very loved about town. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, very strict, very stern. He flies off the handle, but on the uh, but on the whole, everybody respects him. And him and Miss Mona have been kind of having this secret affair, basically for their whole ad- whole adult lives. Um, whereby he kind of sneaks out on afternoons and he goes over to the whorehouse. And it's kind of it's on the edge of the town, so like he's it's kind of in the middle of this big green pasture, so you can you can kind of sneak in and out without anyone knowing. No, they right. have this like a, this lovely affair. It's not that he's married or anything. It's just that it's kind of this unspoken thing that he is the sheriff in town and it is not proper for him to be seen with someone like the likes of her. Right, And, and so and that's the relationship. And they have this lovely musical number where Bert sort of waddles around with his, <laughs> with his like droopy boxer shorts, with his pants around his ankles Um basically singing about how much he loves having sex with Dolly Parton
2: <laughs> oh, God.
1: and how he wouldn't change their arrangement for the world and neither would she. And they are just friends with benefits to the fullest and most exuberant of what that term means.
0: I definitely need to find this film. Uh, it is uh, fabulous. Uh, yeah, You I've will just love lo- it.
1: You will love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've, I'm sold. I'm just looking, actually. Because, I honestly,
1: talk... <laughs> I, have, I have introduced... M- I, I've introduced and made straight men love this film more than I've had hot, <laughs> hot dinners. It's got absolutely everything. So it's got Dolly, it's got Bert. Um, but then of the, um, so the, the, kind of the crisis of the film is that uh, this sort of local cable access TV guy called Melvin P. Thorpe is right. a kind of a tele-evangelist. Tele- and uh, he's always looking for kind of a scandal or something. And he's, just, he's basically early 80s clickbait. Um, in a TV show. And uh, he's this ridiculous character who finds out that uh, there's a a whorehouse in Texas and everybody's putting up with it. This wholesome town is putting up with it. And he goes to shut Miss Mona down and then it becomes like a statewide crisis that goes as far up to, you know, the head of uh, the government, essentially, in Texas.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) And they try and save this thing and uh, both of the, like, you know, Ed Earl's reputation gets put into stake and everything. And what's brilliant about the film, apart from the song's, the dialogue, Dolly Parton, <laughs> everything um, <laughs> is is the fact that you've got every single character in the entire film, and there's about six leading people. Um, they're all in some form of drag. So right. Dolly is put. Dolly is this kind of woman who's putting on this persona of um, of, of uh, what it is to be the head of this household. Ed Earl has to put on this highly masculine, highly guarded, very. Uh, not sensitive to feelings, sort of pillar of the community thing, but underneath he's a complete marshmallow. Then we've got this Melvin P. Thorpe guy who's completely seditious, but has to wear a girdle and a wig um, in order to expose the truths about Texas, which is very ironic. And yeah, then good. you've got this um, this politician who is basically spends the whole thing trying to uh, appear noble but is completely seditious and it's just all about appearances and the characters that we that we put on ourselves or that we're forced to play to make society work yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> and yeah.
1: it is brilliant and i'm sorry i've been talking about it for 10 no. minutes now no no it's good, it's good. <laughs> i'm sure you have
2: questions <laughs> no oh, okay okay okay, okay,
1: okay. Let me let me, um, let me get to the end. This is a spoiler, yeah, yeah, so on, on.
2: <laughs> everyone
1: press plus 30 seconds if you need to. But it ends with the, Ed, Earl, and Dolly saying goodbye to one another. And Dolly uh, sings I Will Always Love You in the most heartbreaking, yeah. tear-filled whisper um, that you will ever see. And uh, it is just it, it it shits on the bodyguard. It absolutely <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> plops on the bodyguard. <laughs> is this the or, is
0: the this the origin of that song. I know she's the original. Uh, she did the original version of it, but is this just is this from that film then, or is it
2: just she? she uh, no,
1: actually, and... the uh, the origins of that song are very interesting. So for a long time, Dolly was. Um, she was on a show called the Porter Wagner Show, which was a country variety show, and she became this sort of big hit on that show as being like, okay, and here's my magical assistant Dolly, but like yeah. in a in a country way, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, she tried to buy herself out of her own contract when she was getting huge airplay uh, nationally, and Porter Wagner wouldn't let her; uh, he wanted to keep her on the show, and uh, eventually she came to him with this song, and she as a way of explaining to him that like, you know, they had grown so much together and she appreciated everything he'd done for her, but that she had to move on. And could she please let him, you know, if I should stay, I would only ever get in your way, et cetera. And yeah, she yeah. Fin- apparently according to lore, she finished the song and he agreed to let her out of, agreed with tears in his eyes to <laughs> let her out of his contract, the contract, with the proviso that he got the royalties to that
0: song. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah. So a real old bastard. So that song and then that song actually went on. Elvis tried to buy the song years later, but um Dolly would never let it go.
0: Quite right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's a <laughs> that's briefest so your question I believe was what what Caroline is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> No, that's a great answer. No, when you say guilty pleasure, it is absolutely not a guilty pleasure because as you can tell from my ferocious yeah. tone, I love it more than anything in this world. But it was completely panned when it came out. And yeah. You know, I mean, you've never and people, you know, people have heard of enough of Dolly Parton's film career in order they should have heard of this, but yeah. it was totally panned and it fell under a rock from the moment it was released. And um, I just wish more people would take the time to get to know it.
0: Well, it got um, 5. Point, it's 5.9 on IMDb. Amazon UK have given it 4.4, which is quite high actually, but 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, what? What do they know? I mean, come on
1: that? How? How? Um, how high does it have to be for it to be certified fresh?
0: Oh, it's got to be up into the eighties, isn't it? I think for that sort of, or even higher, um, maybe. So, yeah, no, certainly it, not fresh. But I mean, it's got
1: <laughs> certainly not fresh. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about that is is that like if I think about all of my like, all my favorite films like um, you know The First Wife Club Death Becomes Her all these kind of famous high camp very like kind of things that you see Diane Keaton in mm-hmm. um, yeah. these are films that when they came out apart from maybe Roger Ebert they were all kind of panned as being fluff like First Wives Club got terrible reviews when they came mm-hmm. out and I think it's a brilliant comedy and like all those actresses are at the absolute peak of their abilities in that film
0: yeah. Well, people come back to stuff, don't they? Even critics can, you know, change their mind about a film based on maybe sometimes audience reaction or just having letting a film settle. And-
1: I find it very interesting. And I, I've mentioned sort of drag and queer culture a lot already, but it's only because I feel like I owe most of my taste in things to gay men. Uh, yeah. They were kind of always, the when I was a teenager, the most important people in my life who... Uh, showed me things who told me things who gave me books who gave me films um and and uh, I, I think what's really interesting and really important about the kind of films that i love the ones that you know dard share or dolly or um you know the first Wife's club death becomes there all those films is that, that yeah, they yeah they were all they're all considered cult classics now they were all critically panned when they came out and mm. um, but i think what what the gay community the queer community is really good at doing is taking these things with these singular brilliant female performances in them uh, that were completely knocked over when they came out because of you know this very overwhelmingly male film critic world that they came out in. Yeah, yeah. And and they and they elevate them and they and they recreate them in performance and they make the they're the ones that make nine times out of ten that are making these things into cult classics. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they they're doing all that work. They're you know they're showing um. them in little cinemas and stuff. And I just think it's very interesting how that happens. And then they just kind of reemerge as being like, oh, well of course everyone loves. Death Becomes her. It's yeah, like well they didn't yeah. always.
0: You no know? nope, nope, that's it. <laughs> Have you got another one? Have you got anything else?
1: Well, um, Burlesque with Cher and Christina Aguilera is another okay. one. Yeah, and, well, that, I and that one. genuinely is quite bad. <laughs> Burlesque was Christina Aguilera's uh, debut in film. And it's just about, a, you know, it's your average kind of country girl who uh, runs away to New York to make it, it in showbiz. And it I'm, apes on... on
0: it apes on so many themes, doesn't it, that one?
1: Oh, totally. I mean, that is the most well worn path of anything, isn't it? The sort of small town girl goes to thing, goes to the city to make it as a star. Yeah. Like, even it's been recreated again, once again, with A Star is Born. And, yeah. and for my part, Burlesque is a better film than A Star is Born. I didn't like A Star is Born at all.
0: <laughs> is it Cher in Burlesque, did you say? Yes. She turns up in quite a lot of these films, isn't she is the sort of matriarchal kind of figure or mother figure or. Um, well in in in, she in, in yeah. um, what's the Have film she's i've seen mermaids
1: what did you think of it
0: i can't remember i just <laughs> <laughs> i i remember bob hoskins
2: you loved it
0: and I, I remember i remember the song because yeah that was when what was it the 90s i guess that was a big song the shoop shoop song but apart from that i oh, i didn't tell you a lot <laughs> yeah
1: yeah uh yeah it was when uh, early winona and very uh, very young christina ritchie was in that
0: that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and she's gone on to good yeah. things as well hasn't she so burlesque yes. okay i'll tell you the stats on burlesque um okay. burlesque got 6.4 on imdb which is actually not too bad but rotten oh, tomatoes okay. rotten tomatoes which is kind of i guess one of the biggest uh you know critics ensemble critic kind of websites I guess 36% I'm afraid 36. yeah
1: so that's so it's, it's got the little green splat sign on it
0: yes the green splat sign is present the Green splat <laughs> is present <and> correct. <laughs> oh, oh well never mind well listen it's, it's the point that's the point I mean let's everyone's now is going to run out and stick it on Netflix surely
1: oh god it's just so much fun and um who, who makes a brilliant performance in it as well is uh, Stanley Tucci
0: Oh, he's um, great. Yeah.
1: He's so good. He, I honestly I keep waiting for the Stanley Tucci HBO TV show to come out, you know, where he plays like a missus or something. You know, I just yeah. I love him when he's, when he's in these kinds of roles. Like he's a similar one in The Devil Wears Pratt where he kind of Has a vaguely kind of um, a sort of um, he he kind of plays a similar role in Burlesque as he does in Devil Wears Prada, where he's like the the person who's supposed to be maternal to the lead woman Mm. is not doing so. It's like is failing in being um, maternal, and so he becomes the mother hen. You know, and I love when Stanley plays a mother hen. He's so good at it because he's just so comfortable in his in his self. You know, it just radiates calm, nurturing vibes, and I love it.
0: Yeah, no, he was in, what's that? Is it E C A? he's in? And he's, or is it, am I thinking, of,
1: yes, a, yeah, he, a, a similar, similar role again? Role. Easy that's a, what made, yeah. when you said
0: it, you started saying it, that's exactly what I was picturing in my mind because he does that that whole shtick in that and it's lovely. Yeah, but, he's
1: and his, and his beautiful forearms. Just so good. <laughs> I would love, like, um, Stanley Tucci in a show, like, if he was, like, the head of a, an all girls boarding school and he just taught them how to believe in themselves. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. He's so good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, well, he's, maybe he can be, uh, he can, we can add him to the rock uh, list of can Stanley Tucci save this film. And, you know, oh, we did, um, we did uh, the last episode that came out or last week. I think it was uh, the last night, the transformers, which is, they're all pretty hideous, but Stanley Tucci's mm. in this one. and He's, he plays Merlin. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays Merlin God. and uh, from, you know, back in the day and he's,
1: well, I hope very he bought funny. a very nice house for Emily Blunt's sister <laughs> off
0: of that. <laughs> yeah. He's very good in it. He's probably one of the things that actually saves the film. Well, he doesn't save the film, but it oh. makes it sort of half decent, uh, watchable, I guess, because he's he does that kind I of dressed, you. yeah dressed up camp thing quite well when he's uh, in um, like To Kill a Mockingbird and the kind of um, oh not To Kill a mo- yeah well what's that what? franchise <laughs> What's that franchise? Not To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, you know Hunger Games the Hunger sorry.
1: Games <laughs> were you thinking Mockingjay Mockingjay.
0: yeah I'll edit yes. that bit out
1: <laughs> no I think I think it shows the people how real you are <laughs> <laughs>
0: They're, they're two great films. I won't ask you for any more because I don't want you, to, you know, to feel under any pressure to divulge this to anybody. But...
1: I have so many. <laughs> I have honestly... Oh, and also, sorry, this is the most important one of all. You can almost even edit this one and put it at the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite films and it's definitely my favorite comedy. And The reason I haven't thought about it is because I, I always forget that it was panned when it came yeah. out, which yeah. is uh, Walk Hard
0: do you know walk oh, hard? yes walk hard which is the walk the line um parody right or yes john c uh, yes john seymour is it no
1: john c riley
0: john c riley yes yeah.
1: did you see it do
0: you know what? i haven't seen it i, I remember avoiding it because it was it was panned but yeah if you're gonna convince me to see it yeah
1: <laughs> sorry i'm just this is just like a lot of me convincing you but this is my last <laughs> one i swear so i i read something about walk hard recently um was just that nobody. Yeah, there's a, there's a saying that nobody who heard The Velvet Underground's first album went on to make a bad album, and anybody. <laughs> similarly, anybody who saw Walk Hard never made a bad biopic, because it is such.
2: <laughs> it is such
1: a smart takedown of the ridiculous ways in which, for about fifty years, there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cinema decided it was going to review the lives of famous people. You know, the whole, like basically taking the piss out of those like terrible tropes that is like, you know, the whole thing of like, oh, the um the main character has something terrible happen to him when he's a boy, and then yeah. he immediately decides to become a famous country singer. Like in Walk Hard, that's um, you know, John C. Riley's character watching his brother being cut in half with a machete. <laughs> um,
2: <and it's, laughs> that it's would so
1: ridiculous. And and there's like all these um fabulously terrible cameos like jack white plays elvis jack black (laughs) plays john lennon um it's
0: that's uh, good um, casting
1: (laughs) it's so fabulously brilliant and it's it's so much smarter than it needs to be like the the stupid jokes are stupid and funny and you laugh at them and whatever but then there's so much clever observation of how Hollywood thinks about fame and how it mm-hmm. thinks about musical fame and how silly and pretentious and precious the whole industry kind of was during the 10 year period where all they wanted to do was to reward like Ray and uh, Livian Rose and uh, uh, you walk the line and how formulaic it was. And I think the reason that it was so critically panned was because it was such a brilliant satire of of uh, the kind of Oscar-baity movies that everyone loves to, to give five stars to but then completely forget ever existed you know
0: I'm definitely going to check that one out because I think we, um, John C. Riley is doing really well at the moment isn't he well he's done he's, he's good in pretty much everything apart from that, that Sherlock Holmes uh, Sherlock Holmes film that's just come out apparently but Pretty yeah, bad.
1: what was he thinking
0: he, I don't know. But I think I, I think that was more out of a duty to do something again with Will Farrell or something maybe, I don't know. And you know, there's other people <laughs> in that. But yeah, no he's 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 always pretty good in stuff um and he's just got such a, a lovely face. Like a <laughs> he does. He really does. I and mean, He's not a typical um, kind of A-lister, is he? He just doesn't. But he's just so good.
1: I think, I think what, what John C. Murray does is very particular in that he plays these very silly outsized roles, but he plays it with a real kind of humane sort of earnestness, you know, mm. and you really like, whereas I think when Will Ferrell gets hit in the balls with a football, you laugh. But when John yeah. C. Riley gets hit in the balls of the football, you laugh. But then you go, "Oh, I hope he's okay." You know, <laughs>
0: yeah. he's so likable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I, I, don't, don't, I don't want to see hurt. I think people have um, people are kind of I don't know. Maybe they're getting a bit fed up with uh, Will Farrell over now. He's not really his early stuff was yeah. great, and I think now he's kind of lost some of that goodwill that people had towards him. He seems to be just sort of fading away and needs to do something really good, I think. or I just or A really decent comedy, come back to what he's really good at, which was obviously The Anchor or the early, early ones anyway. And Elf is one of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Oh. <laughs> Elf was, I mean, he really had like, it was a bit like Jim Carrey in the mid-90s when he just had about four years there where he just made hit after hit after hit, didn't he? And yes, then- yes. I think you can only be the funniest person in the world for a limited amount of time, and then yes. you're just like shot like a racehorse, or you should yeah. be. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Rather than
1: us having to see you rot. <laughs> We're
2: well, talking about
0: Christmas films. I mean, that brings me on to the other thing because in your one of your recent uh, episodes of your podcast, School for Dumb Women, is that you discussed Christmas films and specifically yes. the. I don't know how would you say that the the genre that has become
1: mass- made marketing. for TV Christmas films Yes yes,
0: yes. So what did you discover about these films? Because obviously they are ripe. I mean, aren't they?
1: <laughs> oh, God, they are ripe for parody, and they're so, so yeah. funny. Um, so uh, how that came about was uh, my good friend, Alan McGuire. He has uh, several podcasts of his own, one of which is called Roast Chestnuts, where he, uh, in his own words, gives for TV Christmas films the respect they deserve. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so it's very interesting. Hallmark, they... A few years, I think they've been churning out holiday films for a long time. Uh, They start putting them out in June in order to sell kind of QVC style Christmas ornaments on TV, but then basically from October 1st, you can turn on Hallmark at any time of day and there will be a Christmas film on and they are churned out generally in Canada with them yeah. and it's, you know, it's always a nice opportunity for up and coming uh, Vancouver-based actors um, and they, they're they are generally, you know, a, a, a sexy but not too sexy white woman trying to have a career and then she falls in love, and there's a problem, but it's sorted before Christmas. Yeah. Um, and the scripts are bad, the wardrobes are questionable, the lighting—they can only afford to make good on one person at a time. So often you get a fantastically lit heroine talking to somebody who looks like they're in the Soviet Union, and they're in the same frame. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think what's so interesting about them is is that while most Christmas films are interested in you know the story or the plot or the jokes or a script or providing a nice seasonal role for diane keaton or or similar Mm -hmm. Uh, see uh, made for tv christmas films all they care about is delivering a kind of a general mood like it's a bit like they're a bit like a screensaver or something there's just like lots of like Christmassy images, Christmassy sounds, Christmassy faces, and they just sort of like drift in front of you, creating an ambience in your home. They're basically kind of many of them are just one stop above, you know, that Netflix that film that's just two hours of a fireplace.
0: Oh yes, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, they're basically
0: that. <laughs> you just have to look at the covers. I mean, Sky uh, Movies and also I think Netflix have their. Uh, you get their Christmas, Sony Christmas Channel as well. You get it all comes on as you say, like first of October or first of November or something, and you mm. just have to scroll down and the covers just uh, they just are all the same. I mean, they all they all have the same tropes. You know, there's a man and a woman next to a tree, or there's a. Um, mm-hmm you know, someone standing on the...
1: next to a castle.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you just think, why would you watch? I mean, there's 20, you just scroll down, there's 30, 20, 30 of these, these films. And I guess there's a lot of goodwill because, you know, people... In general, look forward to Christmas. They enjoy Christmas, and they want to feel Christmassy. So they get a lot of goodwill. You can you could have anything in terms of the storyline, as long as you had a bit of tinsel and uh, a couple of baubles, you'd probably get away with a lot. In, you know, in terms of plot and dialogue and everything else, and wooden acting, they just just seem to get off quite lightly. They obviously they obviously do quite well because they keep making the bloody things
1: they—they oh, they really do well. This is one of the many reasons why I think they work so well. Is that like, they, when it comes to Christmas films, when you get into the season for watching them, there's a very save for best mentality. Like, you want to save the Muppets Christmas Carol, or Home Alone, or um, Die Hard, or whatever. You want to save that until mm-hmm. like the twenty third. You don't want to yeah. like blow your load too early uh, <laughs> with those.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you kind of, you sort of like tease yourself up with the <laughs> yeah. Ooh, with the shit bad. ones not first
0: eat yourself in nice and gently and then go for the big guns on Christmas Eve yeah yeah yeah
1: definitely that's what I did this year I watched quite a few of them this year and um, what's amazing is if you watch enough of them you will after a while become convinced that you can run a medium-sized marketing agency because they all take place inside marketing agencies I don't know why
2: yeah yeah
1: Um, lots of people um walking around with like you know a, a, a four thing of uh, festive starbucks coffee uh, clearly no <laughs> coffee in them to show that she's flustered
0: oh god well at least we've got another few months before we have to sit and watch these again
1: oh god i know but the thing is by the time it comes around i will be in there man i will be plugged in to
0: <laughs> yeah okay so what are you watching tonight so oh, this is just the usual <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so I, I've, I've realized as I've been talking that I've mostly been talking about kind of rom-coms and that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. Do you have a favorite rom-com?
0: Yeah, I mean, my favorite rom-com is um, When Harry Met Sally. And uh, that, although it's not a guilty pleasure at all, I mean, that's, it's bloody brilliant. And that and Sleepers in Seattle. I mean, those two films uh, just remind me of uh, my brother and I used to watch them uh, on a Saturday morning. We had the videos, the VHSs, and we used to just watch them and enjoy them. Oh, that's and, uh, so cute. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I have a controversial opinion on that because obviously everybody loves Sleepless in Seattle and When Harry Met Sally, you know, Nora Ephron obviously wrote those yeah, in there. Yeah. But the one that I love the most is You've Got Mail, which which Nora Ephron also wrote and stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think... I just love that one it's so definitely it, I think
0: that, it came third didn't it the, I mean out of her trilogy I guess But well, she made more films than three but I mean the uh, You've Got Mail was kind of like the Sleepers in Seattle like an afterthought to "Sleepers in Seattle and it's just capturing that kind of AOL um, kind of the internet isn't it? I, I don't know. Yeah, it really—it it was.
1: I think it was. It must have been sponsored by AOL. Well, I think I yeah. just—the um, the whole kind of thing with the, you've got mail was that like these two business rivals. She's oh, She owns this tiny, much beloved little bookshop. He yeah. owns like basically Barnes and Noble, and they're going to war with each other. Meanwhile, they're falling in love over chat room, and yeah. uh, it's a very you know very specific to the nineties. Mm. Um plot point in that there's both chat rooms and uh thriving book businesses um and um <laughs> very niche. and uh yeah you're, you're and and the, the world of it like feels very defined like it feels like their version of new york almost feels hermetically sealed like, like it all takes place on the same sort of three blocks of just incredibly intelligent people who read the new yorker and go to parties and um just that sort of nora Ephron new york i think is so yeah. seductive isn't it
0: yeah yeah and um
1: yeah, there's a great bit as well where Meg Ryan is breaking up with Greg Kinnear, mm. and um, who's great in the movie, and he's like this uh, very morally upstanding opinion columnist, and she's supposed to be a very moral upstanding bookseller lady, and they're supposed to be this great couple on paper, and they both sort of know it's not really working. He's, she's just like, I don't love you, and he's like, I don't love you either, and she <laughs> says, I, d- I didn't vote, and he says, I don't care. <laughs> Oh, and dear. it's just the most brilliant like breakup scene, I think, of all of oh. cinema to me.
0: I guess if you like Sleepless in Seattle When Harry Met Sally, and it's it's naturally the best the next best one out of the three. I wouldn't put it above those two personally. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, we can fight. <laughs> the other oh, thing no. is, I I find I don't I don't like When Harry Met Sally as much. I do like it a lot, but I just there's something slightly gloomy about When Harry Met Sally, I suppose. Something a little bit sarcastic about it.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, is. yeah. No, I know you have to be. In there. I don't know whether you, it's just something I can quote, and I, me and my brother still say "baby fish mouth" to each other uh, <laughs> yeah, in our forties. So it's just a, it's a good, it's a, it's a good one, but and, and quite Christmassy as well if you think about it. Okay. It is,
1: yes, mm. it's a very tasteful Christmas film. You you definitely gonna save that till the twenty second.
0: I'd watch um, that. I'd save it till the twenty fourth. I think nine o'clock, done oh, wrapping presents. Yeah, I will get right, get down a high early. roller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check me out. Okay, so look, It's been fantastic to to hear about your um your guilty pleasures, Caroline. Thank you ever so much for uh, talking to the the movie bunker.
1: I have loved it. Thank you for letting me it on about films that you're definitely not going to watch.
0: Well, no, I'm not going to watch it. I guarantee. I guarantee. No, well, I can't guarantee. I will watch. Them. Seriously.
1: i want a live i want a a live tweet of the best lawrence in texas i want every single thought no matter how nuanced and small
0: i'm gonna do Um, that one i think that courtesy because i think it would be courteous to do it for you but before before you before you go um
1: (laughs) correct
0: yeah but just 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 plug your shows because there are two cracking shows and your book
1: i will do that for you um so my um uh my podcast uh, Sentimental Garbage is, um, honestly, we t- talk about a lot of the stuff that you and I just talked about here, a lot about guilty pleasures, a lot about commercial women's fiction, if that's your thing. Um, season two of that will be back in mid-February, and uh, School for done Women, which is a comedy podcast, that is going to be back in February as well. We took a little break over Christmas, and my book, Promising Young Women, it is out, uh, well, it's out right now, but the paperback is coming in March 9th. There, there, uh, and yeah. In the meantime, I write a column, a weekly column for the Times, and you can see that on my Twitter. Uh, and my Twitter is at ZaraLine. That's Caroline with the Z, like I'm rushing.
0: Thank you ever so much, and we'll uh, we'll get to watching that film straight away.
1: Thank you. I'll be texting you every day until you do. So, <laughs> get Cheers, on, Caroline.
2: Take care. <laughs>
1: Cheers. I've actually loved this. Thank you.
2: Okay, so um, in this week's podcast, um, it's my turn. To suggest things, and this week's suggestions is um, I'm going to present my top five films I wish to see remade. Ooh! Ooh. All of these will come as a complete surprise to Chris. Yes,
0: I can guarantee that is absolutely the
2: truth. So his reaction will be his true and unedited and then edited reaction. Okay, right. Are you ready, Chris? For the top five. Films that I want to see remade because remakes are a tricky subject, aren't they? Because a lot of people hold films dear in their heart and said this should not be remade. For
0: That's example, always that the
2: biggest problem. I don't think Total Recall or Robocop should have been remade. They were. So here are my suggestions for remakes I think would work in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Hit me with it. I'm here for it, Matthew. Number five. I'm going to give you a little bit of reasoning behind it as well. Okay. Yeah. Flash Gordon. I loved Flash Gordon as a child. I've watched it again recently. And it holds up in one respect, but not in some others. Like the look and feel of the film are amazing. Effects of the film are horrible and there are lots of effect scenes in this film. Um plus I was a massive fan of the black and white flash Gordon serial. The thing is when I think about this it makes me feel like I grew up in the 1940s but I used to watch the black and white serials on TV. They would be I'd watch Zorro, I'd watch Rocket Man, I'd watch I Love flash Rocket Man. Rocket Man was amazing. Every week, it would appear that he'd blown up in some horrible fashion, yeah. only to next week to be go, oh no, he just stepped to one side or whatever. So um, I love those films and uh, not films, those those series and and uh, they, they they must have been running for like fifty years. Before yeah, yeah, yeah. Put them on television, but know, uh, yeah, I watched them anyway. So I think Flash Gordon with a sympathetic remake with the kitsch vibe yeah. would work amazingly well well i know who you'd cast oh who'd be flash gordon yeah, chris pratt isn't it
0: yeah it's
2: too, <laughs> is that too bang on the nose is it it's too bang on the nose of star lord because star lord basically flash gordon yeah got- well they reference it don't they in um in infinity war it would be hard to not cast chris pratt but i don't think you could so who could be cast in his steed i know who saves everything Oh, friggin hell. Yes, The Rock. The Rock. The yes. Rock could be Flash Gordon. Yeah, that would work. American football, because he's done that American football TV series. Yes, Ballers. Oh, great series. That's a very um, good shout. So there you go The Rock as Flash Gordon. Um, I expect my check in the post film producers.
0: I love that idea. So that's number five. Is that so? What's number four? Hit me with number four, because I'm impressed so far.
2: Number four. In this political eco-climate that we live in, they live. Rowdy and Roddy McDowell, uh, they live, was uh, brilliant. And, is, you know, John uh, Carpenter's film. It's watchable today. It's it no, by any means, aged. And the only reason I want this remade is that I feel more people should watch this film. So um, for this particular film, I want a, like, a Nikita Akita uh psycho kind of remake where they basically just do it scene for f- scene don't change a thing i just want a new audience to see this film because in terms of a commentary on consumerism and brainwashing um with a little subtext of an alien plot this film's amazing and every time i see it on i watch it i've never seen it <gasps> oh my god you, have you seriously not seen it no I've not seen it I'm gonna buy it for you I'm gonna buy it for you and I'm gonna walk over your house and make you watch it whilst they stare at the side of you. you know when you do that film when you have a film that you like and you watch it with someone and you go oh you should watch this film and you're not looking at the film you're just staring at them <laughs> and waiting for their reaction to yes, that. yes, And especially when it comes to the bit you're like oh here comes the bit and you even tell them the bit's coming up the bit's coming up and when they're, they're like, on their phone yeah, yeah uh, what sorry now and you're like, the bit's coming up. The bit's coming up. <laughs> look at this bit. Look at this bit. Yeah. I want that to be remade. Um, not because it's a bad film, because it's a brilliant film. I just want that to be remade almost so that it's a bad film, so that people go, oh, God, I'm going to watch the original again.
0: <laughs> would, I want you... that
2: to be badly remade, is what I want that to be made. Well, we could do it then on the podcast. Would you... <laughs> <laughs> Who could be the Rowdy, um, Roddy McDowell character? We need someone. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it, well um here we go we can um finish uh, uh Dave Bastuta uh from yeah, e, yeah. A Wrestler. He's got Chris, some what about Chris Pratt? Chris Pratt would also be very good. <laughs> <It would
0: work. laughs>
2: well, that's a controversial um, one, Matthew. So what's number three? Number three, um probably less controversial and maybe a little bit fluffy, um golden compass. Uh, i i read the uh, Pullman books and the they they are really good um the film was let down horribly by the actors sorry and, yeah. and the ch- child actors child, child actors can make or break a film and in this case they kind of broke this is the first Book in a trilogy of films, so this needs to be remade simply so they can make the other ones. Because yeah, the, the 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 books are brilliant and are cinemataphic, cinematographic, cinemataphic, cinemataphic in their uh, in their construction. So yes, I would uh, very very much like, and I know it's not even that old. I'd very much like to see uh, golden, yeah. compass the, the the golden
0: Compass. The problem with the Cold Compass is that it was that kind of for me, what it felt like is that we'd had Lord of the Rings and we'd had The Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, which was a you know, very creature-heavy f- film yep. with kids and animals and whatnot. So it was ripe for like, this like It, yeah, it came at a time of like, these, these, these weird Christmas big event children films. Yeah. And, and uh, Ian McKellen cast as a massive polar bear. I mean, it's just like, come on, you do
2: better that. To be honest, yeah. the polar bear is one of the better things about it. And yeah. um, uh, Sam Thingy Bob that we, we mentioned previously in the other podcasts, whose voice could sell Sam Sims. Yeah. well the, the Ian McKellen thing is
0: it reminds me of that um, that uh, scene in Extras where he talks to Ricky Gervais about acting. He says, well, "You know, well, you just when you're acting, you just say, I pretend I am a polar bear. <laughs> I simply am that polar bear you see i turn it on
2: and then when i'm not a polar bear i
0: am me see <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a very good impression thank you yeah. chris number three yeah, the good gold... shout that for that good shout number two might be impossible oh no why it's the fantastic four
0: mm, yeah i see what you're saying
2: i see what it's you're been... saying it's uh i mean there is there is a oh, and I was meant to watch this on YouTube. I sent you the link. Um, I, I found the link to a, a full version. Like, uh, someone found the original Fantastic Four film that was never fully released um, and put it online. And I watched the first five minutes and it was already better than Fantastic Four films that had yeah. already come. Because it was uh, comic book um, reliant. So uh, for anyone that's not out there in the world of comic book films, Fantastic Four recently be has been made... Josh Trank directed um, it. But it's been made twice in quite quick succession. So you had uh, Ewan Griffith, whoever his name is, Jessica <laughs> Alba, Michael Chiklis from The Shield. Yeah, good, good craft. And uh, Chris Pine no. as The Torch not chris Chris pratt no which Which one one? is it (laughs) not chris pratt not
0: chris hemsworth not chris pine but chris evans
2: chris evans all the chrises all the chrises so yeah captain america captain america is in as the human torch which is confusing to a lot of people and he was good Uh, yeah well no nothing was good about those films nothing no nothing chris And then then they remade it recently, Uh, The Drummond Guy and... uh, Michael B. Jordan. Warbringer was in it. Pretty much all of them have gone off to be in other Marvel films, which is kind of weird. The first family of Marvel needs a decent film. And I think now that the the, the barriers have been broken down between Fox, they could do it. They could make a decent film. Even if they weren't on their own, they could make a film where they were like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four... It's um, part of it, part of an ensemble. Yeah, just thing. I mean, because they. I it's don't. A good, it's a good story, and how uh, weirdly, out of all of the films that Marvel have made, it's got the most. Kind of believable of backstories. in mean, the same yeah. way that Spider-Man's believable in know. terms
0: of an origin story. Yeah, but I just don't think we could. The hardest sell, take another all. origin story.
2: No, and that's the that's the that's the hard sell in this one.
0: These but guys have got to exist already in the world, and we have to just be plopped into
2: the movie. We can't we? Can't do it, Chris. Why? Put it to the Marvel Universe, it'll be like, why has no one mentioned these fuckers before? Do you know what I mean? If we suddenly threw them in to the uh, Thanos-based universe. This isn't going to happen,
0: I can tell you now. Regardless of who the rights belong to and who owns it and what could be be done, I just think this film is just not interesting enough to be done. Sorry, if I gave you money, if I was here writing a cheque, I could go with the other ones. You you give me a good enough reason for, for this one. I just don't think you will make your money back on it because already the guns would be out for this. The knives would be out. Sorry for this film already. You know, you even say they're looking at casting. There's, there's writers involved for a fantastic four people. Like no is
2: writers involved.
0: You see, you see, there's <laughs> writers involved. You see, right. <Should> just pretend <laughs> to be the thing. You see, the thing is like, you know, a man, Made of rocks, and you just pretend to be a man made of rocks, you see. And then you just stop being a man made of rocks, you see. It's quite easy, it's quite simple. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst worst rehearsed segment we've ever done, isn't it? We're, <laughs> too, we're far. too far into the wine.
2: My wine. But um, yeah,
0: apologies for that. But no, yeah, no, sorry, mate. It's not gonna it's happen. Okay. But I, I applaud your tenacity
2: for it. It that makes sense. To, that's why it's number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one remake. I'm here think, for it. It's a, it's a series of films rather than a film itself. Carry on films. I, well, I, I did I not wish... see that coming. <laughs> I, I didn't think you would do. I wish to remake the carry on films. Uh, during the Christmas break, I was a, uh, I was sat at my uh, my table (laughs) pretending to enjoy myself. They had uh, the complete collection of the carry-on films that was free on the Daily Mail (laughs) at one point. So the DVDs uh, were in little paper cases. Oh, I love those. And I'm like, oh, wow, you got all of the carry-on films. And the thing is, right, the carry-on films were... Brilliant. In terms of our listeners, because I think you can probably say that
0: people have mostly heard of your other five suggestions. You have four suggestions. Yes. Yes. Carry on films is just so uh, quintessentially.
2: But I, I think everyone's, surely everyone's heard of them or seen one of them.
0: All people
2: are in Alabama. But the thing is, yeah, but no. <laughs> no. Uh, people of an age—that's the thing—and this is this is the thing, and this is why I thought this is the perfect thing to be made of an age. We're of that age where we grew up with a Sunday afternoon carry-on film. It was pretty much, and they were hilarious. But the problem with them is they were hilarious because, not because, they were hilarious, and they were horribly, horribly, horribly racist, homophobic, sexist, and all sorts. So they had great jokes and setups and various slapstick, but intrinsically amongst all those other things were Horrible prejudices. I don't think they were, were they? Yeah, they had blackface. I mean, sexism was rampant. I mean, one of the famous ones is Carry On Camping, where you have Sid James, who was like seventy in this fucking film, chasing a schoolgirl around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now they
0: don't. I, I guess if you you have to look back at them and. We, See, we, 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 we looked
2: We look back at them with rose-tinted goggles. Yeah,
0: and I think you're right. I didn't realise it was that bad. But I don't. I don't. I don't remember any sort of quite. I guess they're inherently racist, by the because because it's the seventies. Yeah, the 70s. And
2: you got you got like blackface and stuff, and it, it, it yeah. was stuff that it wasn't wasn't deemed racist at the time. It doesn't make it not racist, but no, no, uh, no, 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 and, no, and sexist and stuff. But the thing is, and the reason I thought of these films is a there is a there is a market for funny films. Yeah. B, there are so many brilliant English comedic actors around at the moment. Can you imagine a carry-on film re- written by Joe Cornish, Edgar Wright, starring Steve Coogan? Uh, Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Greg Davies is the Jack big D. guy. Jack D. I I mean, the, the, the amount of brilliant comedic English actors out there that would fill these roles. and then And you wouldn't need to worry about, like... The female side of the sex thing, you like Jessica Napper, you got so many brilliant, uh, Shappy Corsandis, just brilliant, amazing, um, female actors that, that that could live on a par with these other, and it would be brilliant, it would, um, it would be absolutely brilliant.
0: Do you remember the one that they did reboot it at one point back in like the did late they? 90s? Yeah, with um, had Julian, uh, Julian Clary was in it,
2: he's good. Well, I yeah,
0: yeah, there was a '90s or early noughties version of the uh, of it. You need to probably check that out. There were people; they, they they've tried to do this already.
2: Oh, I did not know that. Yeah,
0: but you you probably I should st- have maybe done my
2: reset. <laughs> no, no,
0: but it would have one that maybe have slipped under completely under your radar because it's it was one, it was a one off, and I think they probably wanted it to have legs, but it just didn't maybe didn't, didn't gel. But there's no reason why we can't have a more current. Yeah, definitely. There's always room to use, as you say, the great comedic actors. And a lot of them, as you say, a good start in stand-up and then they end, they end up on screen. So who's that guy yeah. who um would I lie to you and um, not going out? Who's that actor, stroke comedian?
2: Oh, uh, uh, Lee. No. Lee
0: Mack. Lee Mack. And then you've got Richard, um, you've got Rangis uh, R- uh, Raganathan, um, Romas yes. Raganathan. He's now acting.
2: <laughs> yep, he's doing, doing that. that um, he's uh, inadvertent landlord or Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And he started off as That's very funny. funny that, so. so yeah, you they it's it's funny how stand up comedians now
2: are just are acting. And, I
0: don't know, yeah. it's not It's like
2: Jessica Nappa who's doing like the, the tour and stuff of of everywhere, like doing all the panel shows and stuff. She obviously started on the In Betweeners movie um as a comedic actress. So yes, yep, yep, yep. And I imagine she probably was stand up before, I guess. Not mm. so tell,
0: but yeah, it would be brilliant in it, and so would Lee. The other Lee Evans, Lee Evans.
2: Yeah, yeah. See, so see, see what I mean? There's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's scope there. So that's that's the films I would like to see, and of the Carry On films, mm, I think Carry On Camping because it has that. I mean, camping is intrinsically funny because it's stupid.
0: What you wow. could do as well is combine it with the with the the other great British tradition, which is uh, music festivals. So you could have carry on a music festival. And then you've got loads of scope for younger British comedians as well to mingle in. There you go. Write that down.
2: <laughs> yeah. Take
0: that to the bank.
2: If Cash that break. fucking happens now after this, we should sue people. It's recorded. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I like those. Have you put it in the public <laughs> domain? Is it now no longer ours? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that shit Com- works. Contact us if you want to.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that segment. That was good. You good. Can you challenge me to the same
2: sort of thing? But give me an answer. Yes, idea I, can do I want episode? to challenge you to five. Um, top five what? Oh, this is going to be a challenge for you. <laughs> top five sports to have been made into a film. Okay, I can do that. From a so, non-sporty person. From a non-sporty person. The top five sports that you want to see made, yeah like sporting events, sporting history, sporting occasions, sporting moments, anything. I've already
0: got one straight away, but I'm going to say it. Straight
2: so, away. Yeah, don't tell it now. Mis- no, no. I've got
0: one it. straight away, which is going to be
2: hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Top yeah. five sporting top five Movies. Sporting things, sporting yeah. movies, sporting movies you want to see made
0: that haven't been made before.
2: Yeah, clearly so you I'm can't say, say I, I, I want to see. <laughs> you, you can't say I want to see a, a story about uh, a young pugilist in Philadelphia that um, makes it all the way to the top uh, despite his speech impediment. That's what's not that, what's that one? Rocky, you fucking oh, prick. Rocky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say, what are you talking about? Some baseball film or something? I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeless at sports films, but yeah, no, a that's a huge list. What's that mean? Boxer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is so self indulgent. It's unbelievable. <laughs>